morning, church. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in uh, Luke chapter 19. Turn to Luke chapter 19. And follow along as I read. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And this is the encounter Zacchaeus had with Jesus. Starting in verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the, pe for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. The message today as we continue our series on the parables, I've entitled The Incomparable King. The king without compare, and his kingdom. There's no comparing the kingdom, and of course the king of the kingdom. Because when we talk about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the most important thing about the kingdom is the king, Jesus. He's all without compare. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to consider these two parables today. They have a similar theme with some variation, but a big theme the same big theme is in bold that we've been singing, by the way, today about Jesus. Because he is the pearl of great price. And he is the hidden treasure in the field. He is the one without compare. That's why all of our songs have been focused on Jesus today. Matthew 13, 44 through 46, God's word. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which... When a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. And please read verse 44, 45 and 46 with me if you have your Bible. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. So how do you measure the true value of something? In this parable of the pearl and great price and the treasure hidden in the field, there's a few questions you could actually ask about measuring the value of something in this world. First of all, it's rarity. How many are available? What makes something rare? How many there are of it? Or who owns it could make something valuable? Who made it could make something valuable because there's a limited number. They're rare, a rare painting by Rembrandt. He 
painted only a limited number of paintings make a Rembrandt very valuable. Rarity, well, how many kings are there who will rule forever and ever? There's one. So the rarity of the king himself and his kingdom make the kingdom very valuable. What's another question we can ask? Durability, how long will it last? If something is durable and lasts forever, like a diamond, it has more value. But how long will the kingdom of Jesus last? His kingdom will stand forever. Of his kingdom, Luke 1.33, there shall be no end. Another question we can ask is authority. Well, who says this is valuable? Whose word is behind this situation? Well, whose word is behind who Jesus is and his kingdom to come, the word of God. God himself has spoken that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is coming. So it's the authority of God himself who has told us the glory of the person of Christ and of his com coming kingdom. Another thing that makes something valuable is necessity. Must you have it? Is it something you really need? If it's something you need, it becomes valuable. They say the wealthy people on the Titanic left behind their millions of dollars and took three oranges because that's what was valuable and what they really needed at that moment. Do you need Jesus? Do you need to enter into his kingdom? Well, if you don't, dear friends, you will spend eternity separated from the Lord Jesus Christ and separated from his kingdom in the lake of fire. Jesus said, you must be, what? Born again. And except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's an absolute necessity. And the last thing we could say is, what, is some, what makes something valuable? Ultimately, what someone is willing to pay for it. That makes something valuable. Well, what was Jesus willing to pay to save your soul? His precious blood. The blood shed by Jesus Christ demonstrates the extreme value of your salvation. And what he paid to win one soul was his whole life. His blood on the cross. So let's pray today as we consider the pearl of great price and this treasure hid in the field. Father, please take this time. Lord, this is extremely important because it's of absolute necessity that every person here has you, Lord Jesus, as their Savior. And if they are not saved, even as the scripture was read today, that they would be found because you came to seek and save those who are lost, O oh Lord. Save the lost, we pray. And then those of us who know you, help us to continue on knowing that we have the most valuable treasure in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon preached an interesting sermon on the Pearl of Great Price, and he called it the Great Bargain. And in his sermon, he finishes it with a story about a Russian man who knew, who knew about pearls like this merchant man in our story. And he saw a magnificent pearl that was the size of an egg and shaped like a pear. So this Russian man said he had to have that pearl, and so he bought it. And when he bought it, he built a house, a special house to contain it. And in that house, he built a special room 
that he was going to house that pearl. And in that room, he constructed a beautiful table upon which that pearl would sit. And on that table, he constructed a box that that pearl would, would reside in. And the box had multiple passwords and keys in order to open it. And so this, he was famous for this pearl that he owned. And even the Tsar of Russia wanted to see it and even had it for himself. But the man would not sell his pearl even to the Russian Tsar. Well, something happened. I don't exactly know what. But this man with the pearl was forced out of Russia. And he made his way to Paris. When he was in Paris, the Duke of Britain, the Duke of Brunswick, it is said, wanted to meet him and see his pearl. So he went into the Russian man's home, and all he left Russia with was this pearl. He left Russia and came to Paris. All he brought, basically, was this pearl. And that pearl made him rich. But when he unlocked the door, the latch, to open the pearl and show it to the Duke of Britain, he turned pale, and he was almost stricken to death because he saw that his pearl had become clouded. It lost its luster. And he knew that in time, that this pearl would disintegrate and become like dust. And so he was completely distraught. So, when we think about this, I want to say today, Jesus Christ is the great pearl who will never become clouded. He is a pearl who will rule and reign forever. And you will never be disappointed by putting your faith and trust in life to, to live and love Jesus Christ. But let me ask you, what is your pearl? This man bought a pearl and centered his life all around this pearl. But it ultimately would turn to dust. And that's like so many, what so many invest their lives in today, dear friend. What is your pearl? In this passage of scripture, we see that both the pearl and the treasure hid in the field are worth more than any sacrifice required to buy them. Because in both instances, it says... When he saw, had this treasure in the field, it says that he sold all that he had in order to buy that field to obtain the treasure. And then, regarding the pearl, he, the, this merchant man of pearls, this pearl expert, he found this beautiful pearl. And it says he went and he sold, and that same phrase, all that he had, all that he had. So the point of this parable is that both the pearl and the treasure are unrivaled. They're unmatched. They're without equal. Their value was worth more than everything and anything this man possessed at the moment or anything he could have possessed. The, the point of this parable is that these treasures were both so rare, so durable, so full of authority, there was a, a necessity motivated upon them to buy them, and when having them, they were, they were making a bargain. They were getting a bargain. They would be richer with that one item, far richer, than they were before with all the other stuff they had. That's how I read this parable. 
And that's knowing Jesus Christ. So when we know Jesus, and we know we're going to be a part of his kingdom, we are wealthy beyond even owning the entire world. That's the power. Now, before I get into four simple points, I just want to say two simple things about this parable and parables in general. But in this parable, we have to decide who is the one seeking the treasure and, or who is the one seeking the pearl. Is it us? And is Christ the treasure and pearl? Or is it Christ seeking and either Israel or the church is the treasure or pearl? So you'll see it both ways. And I've heard it preach both ways. So some say the treasure and pearl is Christ. And others say the treasure and pearl is Israel or the kingdom or the church. I say I'm going to preach it this way. That Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is the treasure. And we are the ones seeking Him. And the reason I believe that is the more accurate interpretation is because the price paid for the pearl is less than the pearl itself. Does that make sense? The price that was paid to get that field in order to have that treasure, the price paid is less than the treasure itself. Because the treasure was of more value than the price paid. Are you with me? So if it's Jesus seeking us, what, what, was, what did he pay for to buy us? He paid his blood. But his blood is not of less value than us. I say his blood is of infinite value compared to us. The, the point of this parable is that the, the buyer gets a bargain. When Jesus got us, I don't think he got such a bargain. I think we got grace. <laughs> so I see this parable as Jesus being the pearl and the treasure and us being the seeker. <laughs> the other thing we have to just be careful about in this parable and in parables in general is over-interpreting them. So, for example, some will say, the man digging in the field, did he have a moral right to dig in somebody's field? Was he trespassing? Well, that's not the point of the parable, and Jesus doesn't answer whether it was moral or not. I don't believe it was immoral, but anyway, something like that. Or, of course, in both instances, he sells, they sell all they have in order to buy the pearl and treasure. So, we know we cannot buy salvation. Salvation is not something we buy. You can't sell stuff that you have in order to buy off God. Okay, so it's a parable. It's a metaphor here. But you have, we have to be careful in over-interpreting parables. And another thing is, in the, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, it says, well, there's a field. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in the field. And there's a, a lot of different ideas of what that field is. But I'm not going to weigh in on that because I think it just doesn't, doesn't really make any difference to the interpretation that we're making here. But some say the field could be scripture. Others, of course, say the field is the world or the field is the church or whatever. I, I don't really know what the field is. I don't think it matters. What matters is the treasure. Jesus Christ is the treasure. And 
this kingdom to come is the treasure that we must have. That's the big point of these two parables. There is a priceless pearl. There is a true treasure. And these are worth having that is more valuable, think about it now, than anything you own right now. Anything we own is of minuscule value compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And even anything you could own, even if it was the whole world, but Jesus said it, if a man gained the whole world but loses his own soul, he's, what is a prophet? He's, he doesn't, he's poor. So, a few things today about this parable. I just give it, I'm going to give it four points just as we see them in the text. And the first one, in order to have and embrace this incomparable person and his kingdom. So that's the message. How can we have this pearl of great price? How can we embrace this treasure hidden in the field? Well, we first of all must seek. Now, in these two parables, in the, in the first one, the treasure, there is no seeking. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But the first one talks about how he finds it in verse 44. You see where he found the treasure? And then he sells and he buys. So those will be our second, third, or fourth point. Find, sell, and buy. Now but look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man. And what is he doing? Seeking. And when he seeks, and, and then what does it say in verse 45? He finds the pearl, and then he sells, and then he buys. So the first one, there's no seeking. There's just a finding, selling, buying. Are you with me? So the first point I want to make is really based on the pearl of great price parable, that there's a seeking involved. A seeking. Now, a pearl is an amazing thing. And I'm sure you know this, but any mollusk that produces a shell can make a pearl. But they form most often in oysters. Now, of course, in our day, they actually make cultured pearls. In other words, you know, people know how to put some form of irritant in that pearl, and a pearl can be made. And they say it takes about six months to four years to make a pearl. And so it's big business. So people know how to make culture. In other words, they're breeding pearls in oysters. But in Bible days, they didn't do that. So pearls were extremely rare and valuable. Some have said, I don't know if this is true because I haven't tried it, but they said, if you open 10,000 oysters, wild oysters, you might find one pearl. So that's how rare they were, and that's why they were so valuable. But pearls are formed, and it's really, and I don't know if I'm going to stretch this too much, but I was just thinking about how pearls were formed and how it is an appropriate metaphor for Jesus. Because how are pearls formed? They're formed as a natural defense against some kind of irritant or a parasite that comes into the oyster. And that irritant or parasite could potentially damage the organs of that oyster. And so what does the oyster do? It slowly secretes mineral compounds. 
And these mineral compounds form what they call nacre, N-A-C-R-E, nacre. Often, it is often called, and I bet you've heard of this phrase, it's called the mother of pearl, which is nacre. Now, the oyster, by the way, it doesn't secrete mother of pearl. It secretes minerals that make this, this mother of pearl. And so what is that nacre? It is a protective coating that goes around that irritant, and then it keeps secreting these minerals. The nacre is formed, and it, that's how the pearl is formed. And that mother of pearl is an incredible, it's almost miraculous when you think about it, isn't it? Because it forms something that is lighter and stronger than concrete. It is beautiful, enduring, and radiant. And it reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, through his ministry, and how long did I say it takes a pearl to form? From six months to four years, and the ministry of Jesus was long enough to, if you will, for a pearl to form. And it was through all the irritants, and ultimately even the cross to which he went, and all the suffering he endured. And yet, out of all of that, came forth the perfect Son of God without any sin who rose again and He endures strong and beautiful for all eternity. So I say, seek Him. <laughs> seek Jesus Christ. And prioritize all your pursuits to do it. If you're not saved, if you're here today and not 100% sure you're born again, Put all your efforts and prioritize your heart and mind into thinking, how can I come to know Jesus as my Savior? If you do know Him, prioritize your time to get to know Him better. Because He is so great. And ye shall seek me, the prophet said. And find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you. I say evaluate your pursuits. And prioritize your seeking to what will last, what is truly important. And what's truly important is that we might know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. Look at Isaiah 55, if you could go back there. And just one scripture that I love so much. It's so powerful. Isaiah chapter 55 where the prophet says in verses 6 and 7. And if you have it, you can please read it with me out of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 55, 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. disobedience to the Lord today. Seek the Lord. Forsake your ways. Forsake your unrighteousness. And He will forgive you. So I say prioritize. Prioritize your life to seek first 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. So in these parables, and especially in the parable of the pearl, we see personal seeking. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. So this tells us what kind of people are going to be in the kingdom. The ones who are seeking that which has greater value than anything. Because this world ultimately just won't satisfy. Seeking. Now somebody will say, yeah, but no man seeketh after God. Without God first working, you're right. But we just read verses, and throughout Scripture there are verses where God commands us to seek Him, to seek Him. Seek my face. Seek ye the Lord. Seek ye first. And so people seek Him when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart. And with, before even they're saved, I'm talking about people who are lost, they say, I've got to know Jesus. And so maybe they, I, I say to you, if you don't know Jesus, seek Him. Say, so, well, how do I know Jesus is the, is the only way of heaven? How do I know that? Well, seek Him. And I'm not afraid to tell you this. Study other religions. Study the religions of the world. Study Muhammad and Islam. Study Joseph Smith and Mormonism. Study the Hindu gods. Study the teachings of Buddha. Study the writings. You'll be wasting your time. Of the strange Scientologist L. Ron Hubbard. But what I'm saying is this. You will find that Jesus far out surpasses the Quran and Muhammad. He far out surpasses the hundred million Hindu gods. He far out surpasses the crazy lies of the Scientologists. And by the way, when you get some kind of paper in the subway asking you to go to the Scientology over there in Times Square, that I personally wouldn't do it. I'm, I'm a, I, I don't encourage you to do it. But on the other hand, I've studied religions. You know what happens when I study religions and other cults? You know what happens in my soul? I'm more sure that Jesus is the way. So, this was a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. But when he found the pearl of great price, that's what I'm saying. Jesus Christ alone is the Savior of the world. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, many have found Jesus through personal searching and seeking. And when you think about the Bible, it's going to rifle through. We read of Zacchaeus today. Zacchaeus sought Jesus. It says he sought to see Jesus. Nicodemus sought out Jesus Christ, didn't he? It says at night he came to see Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus is the one who cried out for Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Many in the Bible seek Jesus Christ. That woman with the issue of blood fought her way through a crowd in her bodily weakness to just touch the hem of his garment. So there's so many examples of personal seeking of Jesus Christ. The second thing, not only do we see a seeking here, but we see there's a finding. Find. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field, which when a man hath found, he hides. And the kingdom of heaven is like to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, and when he hath found, so there's a finding. People find Jesus through, through discovery, through examination, through observation, through inquiry, 
through thought. I think of the nobleman. Remember the nobleman and his son was healed? And he inquired later after his son was healed because Jesus just spoke the word and healed his son and he inquired. He said, what time was my son healed? And it was the very time that Jesus said, go your way, your son is alive. He's healed. And so through inquiry, God is not afraid of you to inquire of him, to put him to the test, and to show that he's the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus Christ must be found ultimately individually. You must find Jesus yourself. You can't go to church because your grandmother was saved, or other friends or family members know the Lord. You must find Jesus yourself personally. And we often talk, and we say this expression, and I believe it's biblically accurate, that Jesus Christ is a personal Savior. Because you were saved individually. And your salvation story is absolutely beautiful and unique, like your fingerprint, like a snowflake. Your salvation story, there's no one who's been saved in a way just like you. In your story. But we've all been saved the same way. By faith. And through the grace of Jesus Christ. When we've repented. And turned to him. Find Jesus. Find him through discovery. But you must find him individually. Isn't it amazing how unique we all are. And how we're all saved in different family situations. At different ages. In different places, in different times of our life. Some are saved when they're very young. Some are saved in their teen years. Some are saved in their middle years. Some are saved toward the end of their lives. God is sovereign in all of this. But there's a beautiful verse in Isaiah. And Isaiah says it this way. God spoke to Isaiah. And God said that I am found of them that sought me not. I am found of them that sought me not. I am sought of them. That asks not for me. And so yes, some come to Jesus through personal seeking. Like we just talked about this merchant man of the pearls. But this one with the hid treasure. It's like he wasn't looking for the hid treasure necessarily. He just found it almost wow, accidentally. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a man... And then it says, he, it wasn't, it doesn't say he was searching for treasure. It says, like unto treasure, it's hidden in a field, which a man hath found. So he wasn't seeking it, but he found it. But he personally found that treasure. And upon finding it, almost accidentally and unexpectedly, and by the way, they say that this story is very true to life. Because in Bible days, there were a lot of wars, especially in Israel, in that land over the years. Think of all the different wars that had been fought. And so due to war and raids, because there were many warring different factions that were there, the danger of burglars, a homeowner may have had no place to store his valuables in his house where he thought that they would be safe. So perhaps this homeowner who owned this field resorted to burying his treasures in the ground. But he didn't tell anyone about it, and then maybe he died. And so the treasure was there, and maybe I'm just saying, I'm painting a possibility of what could have happened. 
I'm saying this is a very true-to-life story that Jesus is giving of the treasure hid in the field. But it tells a beautiful, there's a beautiful parallel to it. And that is, sometimes people are saved suddenly, aren't they? Sometimes people are saved when they're not really even seeking after the Lord, but God has been seeking them. And ultimately, all of us are saved because God is seeking us. He came to seek and save that which was lost. But think of the different places where people have been saved throughout time. Was Paul seeking Jesus on that, what, what was the name of that road? The Damascus Road. He was saved on a road. Persecuted Christians. And then accidentally, almost unexpectedly, he found the treasure of all. I am Jesus! Think of this woman, when she went to the well, she found Jesus at a well. Did she go to the well and say, I need Jesus. I'm going to go to the well and find Jesus. Is that what she said? What was she going to find? Water. But she found the water of life instead. What about that man, that crazy man of Gadara? Where did he find Jesus? In the graveyard. At, all cut up. Without any clothes. And he didn't expect Jesus to get off the boat and come into his, his tomb. And yet, Jesus found him and saved him. And we mentioned Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus found Jesus up in a tree. How about the eunuch? He had gone to Jerusalem to seek truth. He was on his way back home, still wondering and reading from the prophet Isaiah. You know the story, many of you. And there comes Philip running beside him, accidentally for him, surprisingly. He didn't expect it. And there in that chariot, the eunuch was saved. Think of all the weight places now. On a road, by a well, in the tombs, in a tree, in a chariot. Cornelius, that's a picture of Peter sharing the gospel with Cornelius. Where was Cornelius? In his house. In his house. And then, how about this? In Philippi, Paul was in jail. An earthquake. The gates were opened. And the eunuch, or the, the jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul says, wait, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, you know what he said. Believe. Did that jailer go to work that night thinking, I need Jesus, i got to get saved today, you know? But he was saved. God can do a great work. God is seeking the lost. God was seeking me when I was a student. As a freshman. I wasn't seeking him when that piece of paper went under my door. I'll never forget, I was sitting there in my smoke-filled marijuana, drug-filled room, listening to rock and roll probably. And the paper came under my door and it said, do you want to go to a Bible study? I thought, yeah, I'll show them what I know. I put, yes. I put it back under the door. And the guy knocked on my door and I never really went to a Bible study. He would just come by and tell me about the Bible. But God began to work. I'm so glad people shared the gospel with me. But all these different places I just referenced, a jail, a home, a chariot, a tree, the tombs, 
a well, a robe? Has anybody ever saved in church? <laughs> These are not religious places. And that's why for sure I know that men do not receive Jesus Christ through a wafer. Men are not saved by putting a piece of bread in their mouth and don't receive Christ that way. You can receive Jesus Christ when you're up in a tree, or in a jail, or in your home, or in the tombs, or in a chariot, or by a well. You can call on the name of the Lord, wherever you are, whoever you are. Amen. You must be born again. Fine. I say lastly, all this happens only by grace. Only by grace, for by grace we've been saved. That means God giving us what we can never pay for or deserve. So then we see thir thirdly sell. So there's a seeking, seek, find, and sell. And so I say on the sell part, we see there's a decision. They had to confirm the value. The one who found the treasure hidden in the field had to make a decision. Is that treasure... Is that treasure worth selling everything? Because that's what he does. All that he has. And then the same one with the pearls. They had to confirm the value of the treasure and the pearl. Was it worth all? That's the question. And again, the point of this parable is the infinite value of our king and his kingdom. And his value is worth more than anything you have or ever could have. That's an amazing statement. But it's true. This parable contains a subtle warning that we're so easily captivated by the things of this world that we're afraid to part with them in order to have Christ. But there's a decision and then there's a determination to sell. So, in this, again, we're not saved by selling the material things that we have. I don't want you to leave your thinking, oh, I have to sell my computer or my TV or I have to sell my socks. In my, you know, I have to sell my clothes, I have to sell my car. No, that's not the point. The point is, we must repent of anything we're holding on to that prohibits us from receiving Christ. And we must joyfully make the changes in order to have Christ. And we must willingly part from anything and everything in order to have Christ. There must be a repentance. A repentance from our old ways. And the way I see the parable in the spiritual realm is... Like they disposed of all their goods in order to be able to purchase that treasure or pearl. So dispose of your old life in repentance. Dispose of your sins. And get rid of anything that keeps you from seeing Jesus Christ as King. I mentioned Spurgeon earlier in his sermon, A Great Bargain. He says it this way. Sell off all your old prejudices. Sell off your self-righteousness. Sell every rag of your own self-righteousness. Sell off your religious ideas. Your idea that you can add Jesus to your Buddhist self. No, you can't. 
Jesus Christ is alone. You throw out Buddha when you come to Christ. You cannot add Jesus and merge Islam and Christianity. No, you can't. You must have Christ and Christ alone. You cannot merge Jesus Christ with this strange American pagan religion that is all around us today with its own morality of all kinds of sexual perversions and having drag queens come to our children in their schools? Are you kidding me? This is American paganism. This is a lot of people who say they're Christian, smoking weed, listening to the same old music they've listened to, uh, buying into the culture that we're in. We've got to sell every rag of this world system and of its lust. Sell every rag of your self-righteousness. Sell every rag of your own religious ideas. Sell every rag of your good works, which are nothing but filthy rags. And get rid of these things that will prevent you from loving and living for Jesus Christ. Sell. I think of that rich young ruler. Remember, he came to Jesus. He wasn't willing to sell. Remember, he said, when Jesus said, he said, well, what? I, I, the rich young ruler wanted to be saved. Remember? And what can I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you have to keep all the commandments. And the rich young ruler was holding on to his self-righteousness. He says, I've kept all those things from my youth. He didn't have a humble heart to repent of his own self-righteousness. And realize that only Jesus is the absolute righteous one. And this is why we need Jesus. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's a penalty of sin and death and hell. And we need Jesus Christ because in Him was no sin. In Him there was no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He's absolutely righteous, harmless, holy, undefiled. And yet He died even though the law said He didn't have to die. He died, He laid down His life for us of His own heart and will. He died for your sins, not for His own. That's why He alone is the Savior. And the last thing is buy. Buy. That means make your decision. Seek Him, find Him, sell all to get Him, and then buy. Now again, when it says buy, we know that salvation cannot be bought. But biblically, this means we repent. We believe. We Christ receive. Or A. Buying is simple. You know, how many of you bought anything? Let me see if you bought something. Oh, come on. Buying is simple. So I don't know how to be saved. It's like a purchase. You make a decision. And you meet the conditions. The condition is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, accept. B, believe. C, call. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You know when the man bought the pearl and the man bought the field and he had the treasure. Do you think they, they thought after they bought it, do you think they said, man, I, I think I just got ripped off. You ever buy something and you say, I think they just 
they got the better deal. I just got ripped off. Have you ever had a deal like that? I remember the first time I ever bought a car, I was so afraid. A used car, you know, used car salesmen are, you know, they're scary people. And they know how to swindle. But, and, and I was young and naive, and uh, I, I, was, I was thinking, oh man, he just got the best. But actually, it was a good car. I bought a Toyota Corolla hatchback. That was my first car I bought. It was a nice car. But sometimes we think we got ripped off. And sometimes we regret our decision. But in these instances, when they bought the field and the pearl, there was no regret. There was no thinking, I, I got ripped off. No, they got the bargain. When we come to Jesus, we get the bargain of all eternity, eternal life, and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is a spiritual bargain beyond our wildest dreams, dear friends. Now, most of us are pretty average when it comes to material things. I'm thankful for how God is blessed. I remember when we came to the city years ago, and when we first moved into Brooklyn, and we heard that homes cost $200,000 and I needed $25,000 to buy a house. You know what I said to myself back then? I'll never be able to own a house. I could not imagine having $25,000 in the bank. It was, it was, I couldn't even think about it. But somehow, I won't tell you all the story, but God provided, I didn't need $25,000, actually the economy dipped. And we got into our house, we only needed like $11,000 to buy our house. And we bought an old house that needed a lot of repairs. It only cost $110,000 back in 1993. And praise God, now the house is paid for. And it's increased in a little bit of value. But God has blessed us. But still, I, you know, I'm not a rich person. I don't think any of us here, we would consider ourselves rich. Our true riches, I will say this, are in Jesus Christ. Whatever you own in this life can never measure up to who you have in Jesus Christ. And if you own him, you are truly rich. And God said it. He has chosen the poor of this world to be truly rich in faith. So I close by saying this. Don't merely test the drive. The Christian life. Have you ever gone out and say, I'm just going to go test drive some cars. I'm not going to buy anything. I don't have the money, but I just feel like driving a Yukon or a Mercedes. Or you're just going to go test drive. You know, a lot of people test drive salvation. I say, stop test driving and make your decision. Come to Christ. Call upon Him and make sure He is yours. Let's stand together as we pray. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure above all treasures. In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and righteousness and love. You need love today? That love is in Jesus Christ. You need wisdom today? The treasure of wisdom is in Jesus Christ. 
You need faith today? That treasure of faith is in Jesus Christ. You need hope? You need joy? You need peace? All these treasures and more, what we really need are in Jesus Christ. Many of us have them. But we don't draw on the treasures that we have. So if you know Him, go to Him and trust in Him in a daily way that you find in Him your peace, your joy, and your strength. Because we need that. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ that has saved me, that he died for me on the cross and shed his blood and bodily rose again. And I thank the Lord that by his grace I know him, and I know in him I have a pearl of great price and a treasure beyond all treasures of this life. Can I just see your hand today? And just put your hand up, dear Christian, and just say hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For your great love and for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody who would say, Pastor Matt, I wasn't able to put my hand up. I'm not sure I'm saved. But today I need Jesus to save me. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone? Is there anyone who say, I need Christ today as my Savior? Is there anyone today that you say, I will call on the name of the Lord today? I don't want to leave this place lost in sin. I need Christ. Is there anyone at all? Dear friends, let's pray for our friends right now. You work with unsafe people. You have unsafe family members. Just offer a prayer for them now. Pray for your neighbors that need Christ. Yes, Lord, we pray for our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, and friends, trapped and snared in the deceptions and the temptations and the lies of this world and of Satan and deliver them from the snare of the devil. Set them free, O oh Lord. Set souls free in our city, we pray. And thank you, Lord, for our dear church. And bless our dear people today with faith and love in Jesus' name. Amen.